I think this weekend will be the best Nebraska has, has looked all season long. back what's up everybody welcome to another episode of the mainline podcast i'm your host tyler burton proud to be joined as always by my good friends adam jacquez and corbin Colson. it is game week OU nebraska it's finally here guys you are both going to be making the trip down both going to be in attendance i think that this will probably be what the first game in a couple years where all three of us will be you know sharing a seat uh, or at least seats inside the stadium so guys how are we doing and uh, when's when's everybody making the trip down yeah, don't forget your credential, Corbin. We're going to have to put everybody to work here again. <laughs> I swear I could wear some old credentials and probably just walk right on the field if I wanted to. <laughs> I mean, they all look the same every single year, so I'm tempted. But uh, if anybody's listening, you know, for the record, I am not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, all you have to do is uh, walk with a little purpose and, uh, and an old yeah. credential. should yeah. be good to go. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a big week, I guess. A big game, I guess. But I don't know. It just... It doesn't feel like it's there, especially after Nebraska's uh, opening loss to the season where everybody was watching that one particular game. It, it, it kind of feels like a big week just because, I mean, there is some buzz in the air. We all know that these are two of the, you know, the most historic programs in college football. Uh, traditionally speaking, it is one of the best rivalries in this sport. But I almost kind of wonder if uh, people that are our age, we almost don't truly appreciate the, his, the historic uh, you know, the, the tradition, the games that were played back in the 70s, the 80s, the Barry Switzer days, um, Nebraska's dominant run back in the 90s and stuff. So it kind of seems like we're maybe a little too young to truly appreciate the, uh, uh, you know, the, the tradition and the historicalness of this rivalry. But uh, still feels like it's going to be a big game on Saturday. And it's one that uh, I know OU fans are going to be excited to, to come out for. I may not understand the full magnitude of the old school rivalry. I'll admit that. I think that's fair for all of us today, like you're mm-hmm. mentioning. But like my first OU game was actually OU Nebraska. Um, it was back in 08. Um, you know, one of the best teams OU's ever had. Uh, mm-hmm. That game was 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Uh, so, you know, it was honestly what I remember more about that night is that's actually the night that uh, Texas and Texas Tech played and the Crabtree mm-hmm. at the goal line play and like campus was going crazy. I, that's yeah. what I remember. I don't really remember much about the game. (laughs) So uh, besides that, I mean, you think, you know, that game and then obviously the 20, what would that have been, 2010 Big 12 Mm -hmm. Championship game last time, you know, we played each other. That was obviously a classic. Um, But, yeah, I I think I would love to have more of uh, the nostalgia than probably what I'm actually capable of having for this one. Yeah, you got to be pretty old to feel the nostalgia. Now, like I, I remember, you know, in 2000 watching that, um, you know, epic game where Eric Crouch uh, and crew came to town and it was really like the moment that OU felt like, hey, we're back and we're going to the Natty at this point. Um, mm-hmm. It's been 20 years since then. Uh, it's it's crazy to think about that. And then um, we haven't gotten a, a national championship since then. But but even then, you know, the teams weren't playing, uh, but, you know, every two years. And at that point, OU had been down for so long that the rivalry didn't mean a whole lot. So you even have to go back further, probably back into the 80s for that game to be a regular, you know, set your schedule for this particular game. So it's just been so long that really you got to be a pretty, uh, pretty old fan at this point to really have this mean a whole lot to you. 
And with this weekend, you know, coming up, I guess it's the 50th anniversary of the game. And, you know, if there's one thing that we've noticed since Oklahoma did win that national championship all the way back in 2000, I think that for a lot of OU fans, that OU Nebraska and Stoops' you know, second year at Oklahoma, that was kind of the, the turning point in terms of OU kind of getting back on track and becoming what they are today. But, uh, guys, we'll touch on that here in a little bit. Not too many thoughts um, that, that I have as far as, uh, you know, OU's, you know, win over Western Carolina. I think that there's probably some high school teams in the state of Texas and maybe a couple here in the state of Oklahoma that could have put up a pretty good fight uh, against Western Carolina. But, Adam, just kind of starting with you, OU dominates 76 to nothing. We were both at the game. Um, any takeaways from it? Anything that uh, kind of caught your eye? Uh, just kind of what were your thoughts on OU's win over the Catamounts? Yeah, my takeaways are pretty much nothing. Um, it was <laughs> It was such a bad team that we were playing. I mean, they dropped passes. They completely missed the receivers in such a way that it was, you know, so bad. Not even OU's defenders were in position to pick off passes. And it, it was your typical FCS team that knew they were extremely overmatched. Uh, coming to town, they needed to get out, you know, run a few, you know, swing passes and not do too much to get hurt, get their check and, and, and get out of town. Um, that's really how they played the game. And so I, I really don't think you can take hardly anything away from it um, necessarily. Mm-hmm. I guess it's an overall confidence booster for pretty much everybody. Um, even the backups like yeah, Caleb Williams, you know, it, it's exciting for him and you know, those younger guys come in and try to make a difference. But at the same time, you know that they don't have the same intensity and focus that they would if they're playing pretty much anybody else. So if they whether they do good or bad, I don't know that you can really take anything away from that. Yeah, I don't think that you know, beating up on a really, really, really bad opponent uh, has eliminated the bad taste in my mouth from the Tulane game quite yet. I think if we go out and do something similar to Nebraska, I feel a bit better moving forward. Um, as crazy as it sounds, we maybe learned more about Tulane last weekend uh, than we did about OU that maybe they're okay. Um, you know, they went up and beat up on a bad team just like we did. And so all of a sudden it's kind of like, huh, I wonder, maybe that was, you know, very similar to what Army did a couple years back when it was all hell was breaking loose after that game if you're an OU fan, but then Army goes and destroys everybody else on their schedule. Mm -hmm. So maybe Tulane's better. I think we'll find that out this weekend, actually, when they go down to Oxford and play Ole Miss. Uh, I think we'll get a really good feel of how good that team's going to be. But, yeah, I mean, it was cool to see some of the younger guys play. It was cool to see the crowd back. Shout out to all the fans that went. Uh, mm-hmm. The crowd looked incredible. Uh, I'm sure it did in person, but on TV it was awesome. Uh, so the the stripe out and everything it did was great. But, yeah, you can't put much weight into anything we saw uh, last weekend. Yeah, you almost have to hope and pray that Tulane does go on the road to Oxford and puts up a pretty good fight against Ole Miss. Whether or not you win the game, if they can be competitive and play Ole Miss you know, pretty tight, that's got to make – um, maybe OU fans and extremely the national perspective about OU's lackluster performance against Tulane. It's got to make you feel a little bit better. But no, th- there's not too many things that you can take away. Um, I kind of had to, uh, you know, scrape over this with a fine tooth cone to maybe come out with a few positives that I think OU fans and some of the players can, you know, take some positives from this going into week three. Um, first one for me, it was Jaden Hazelwood. Yes, he only cut two balls, but he had two touchdowns. So I think that could be a big confidence boost for him. He's back being 100% healthy. Having a game like that where you do get a, uh, find yourself in the end zone a couple times, I think that could you know kind of make him you know jump up into that uh, you know maybe get him to that point where he's confident he he can take that next step uh, at the wide receiver position. And then number two for me, uh, Danny Stutzman, Ethan Downs, Bryson Washington, three very young guys, freshmen and sophomores. Danny Stutzman, 
Um, it sometimes, guys, kind of looked like the best middle linebacker that OU had out on the field. Again, I know it's Western Carolina. Ethan Downs played extremely well. You know, he had that big, you know, fourth down stop, uh, tracking the quarterback down, forced fumble on that. And then Bryson Washington, you know, I think he had two turnovers where he was able to come up with the ball in the second half. So, um, and then I guess a few other things. DTY, obviously, we lost Billy Bowman, kind of an injury at the very beginning of the first quarter. Um, so being able to see DTY and Jeremiah Cradell split time at the nickelback position, I kind of liked what I saw from DTY playing at nickel. That's a guy, um, you know, he's not he's not as big as like a Key Lawrence, but, you know, he, he plays bigger than the size that he actually is. So seeing him at the nickelback position, DT, uh, uh, DTY there, Key Lawrence and Pat Fields at safety, that might be kind of a good combination that OU could roll with over the next couple games uh, as far as if Billy Bowman's injured. And then, Guys, other than that, you wanted to see Spencer Rattler, you know, play confident with more energy, not turn the football over. He did that. You wanted to see Oklahoma be able to run the football with all four guys consistently throughout the entire game. They did that. And, you know, after the performance against Tulane, they basically checked out at halftime. You wanted to see this group put together four complete quarters of football, and they did that. The way they practiced last week, the way they approached the game mentally, and the way they played hard for 60 minutes, that's the blueprint, and now you've got to do it again for the rest of the season, and that starts with the Nebraska game at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Yeah, I think, Tyler, when you mentioned um, if there was a quote-unquote negative that I think I saw, it, it was wanting more of the linebacker position. Mm-hmm. Um it just hasn't been what we thought it would at this point. I thought that was a pretty elite group heading into the season. They've just kind of been eh so far mm-hmm. to start the year. And I think based on Alex Grinch's comments and his presser this week, I think he probably agree. Um, and so he's wanting to see those guys take the next steps. We haven't seen that yet, which is probably why a guy like Danny Stutzman sticks out to us. Mm-hmm. Um, when realistically, if that defense and those linebackers in particular are playing the way they should, we probably shouldn't be seeing that much of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was probably the one position group where I was like, you know, you kind of clench your teeth and you wonder, you know, did we overhype this group coming into the season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you touched on a good one there, Tyler, in regards to the, the running game. Eric Gray it felt like they were really feeding him. He ended up with only two more carries than Kennedy Brooks. Um, only eight carries on the first half. That was his entire game. Same thing for Kennedy Brooks. But I think they were definitely making him a focus of saying, hey, let's get him out there, showcase him you know, uh, get him in some good situations where he can get a rhythm uh, going into the rest of the year. Um, I guess the the carry numbers were a little bit better if you just say, hey, let's double those and look at those over an entire game. 16 carries for uh, Eric Gray, 12 carries for Kennedy Brooks. Mm -hmm. That's what I would like to see, some type of balance between those two guys. I think Kennedy Brooks is probably going to be the more productive back just from what I've seen so far, but it's a very small sample size. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think those carries are trending in the right direction. Don't want to forget the run game at all. Yeah. And and in talking about the run game, you know, one last thing that, that I want to touch on before we put a bow on Western Carolina is we finally got to see Wanye Morris in in action. We finally got to see him take some snaps uh, playing at both left and right tackle. You know, he, I thought he played extremely well. He looked solid throughout the game. Again, it's Western Carolina. But it, it kind of seems to me that Wanya is getting more and more comfortable. Beanbow and Ryder are getting more uh, comfortable, and they're starting to be able to trust him, being able to throw him out there. So it kind of seems our, we're getting closer and closer to having you know Anton Harrison on one side, Wanya Morris on the other, which I think for this team to go as far as we want him to go, you've got to have those bigger frame, uh, you know, more physical disruptive bodies out there at the tackle position. So it was good to see Wanya Morris get out there. Let's, let's touch on this. Um, we saw the backup, Caleb Williams, for the first time. Really, you know, I mean, he played a, a play against Tulane, but first time we saw him in extended play, 
that's, you know, he wasn't perfect. He was thrown to a lot of walk-ons and he had a lot of walk-ons all around him. But I, I know I turned to uh, someone I was sitting with at the game and I said, you know, I think Caleb Williams is better than Spencer Radler. But at the same time, I think in order for this team to reach their goals, Spencer Radler has to be the guy still. And I, I think we've kind of said that a little bit, but what did you guys see from him? What did you like? Or, or was it just meaningless uh, still against a bad opponent? It's hard to get a real pulse on it because of who he was playing around. Um, you know, he didn't really get the chance to be in there with the ones and to show kind of what he could do with some of those elite guys, especially at the skill position. So I thought he looked really good for what we saw. Um, did it give me a little bit of pause saying like, you know, if Spencer got hurt, could Caleb come in and just immediately, you know, pick up where things left off? Maybe I'm not quite as bullish on that now uh, is, is what I was before. But I think long-term, we have to remember, obviously, like this is Spencer's third year. And like, I think there is a legit argument that if Caleb did slide in, like, could he be better? And this is year one for Caleb. So I do think long-term, yeah, like I think Caleb will have probably a better career than what Spencer's going to have. But yeah, for right now, it's got to be Spencer. Yeah, and I definitely don't think that, you know, his reps that he got on on Saturday were meaningless. I mean, anytime you can get out there in your first start under the lights, I mean, it was good reps that he got playing, you know, for, uh, you know, one and a half quarters. I thought that he threw the ball pretty well. It was good seeing his wheels, you know, get out of space on that first run with the 65-yard run. But, um, Corbin, you hit the nail on the head. I think that for this team to get to where they want to go, Spencer's got to be that guy. Although I will say – that while I don't think that Caleb is uh, is ready to go quite yet in terms of you know fully grasping this off, uh, this offense being comfortable uh, in in a game by game situation, but you can definitely tell that the skill set is, is there. And as an OU fan, you've got to be very very excited about what Lincoln Riley can do with a guy that has a has an arm that's maybe um, on the same level as uh, as as a Spencer Rattler, but he can also run the football as well. So in terms of you know going twenty twenty two. Uh, and, and moving forward, you've got to be extremely excited about that. And, and like I said, it was good that he got the reps um, because he's always one play away uh, from being the starting quarterback at OU. So uh, it was good to see him get out there, and it was good to see a lot of the younger guys get out there too as well. Yeah, I think the biggest difference I saw is that, you know, Caleb Williams is a speedster. He's significantly faster than Spencer Radler, which uh, the quote of the night came from my fiance, who said she was faster than Spencer Radler. And I said, you might oh, wow. be right because he looks like he is just slow as molasses sometimes. What's her, what's her 40 time, Adam? Uh, it's a, definitely a four, three unofficial. So okay. Yeah. Five star, five star for sure. She can play <laughs> safely. I, I thought that we uh, might have a special guest appearance. Maybe talk a little big 10 football, a little Michigan state, but uh... we'll, we'll save that for later. Huh? Okay. All right. Cool. Well, Adam, what's uh, what's going on uh, across the Big 12 in week two? Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't the best week <laughs> for the Big 12, I guess. Um, you know, we saw Texas go down. We saw K-State and Texas Tech struggle uh, with some FCS opponents. Iowa State looked rough. You know, there's there's still some ranked teams out there. TCU even squeaked by California. But there's a chance that, oh, you could go through the entire year and not play a ranked opponent. Yeah, and that, that Oregon win in Columbus – is 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 big not only uh obviously for the pac-12 to get some recognition but it, if it comes down to it OU does slip up and mm-hmm. they're going to get the one loss oregon who has a win in columbus it's, it's oregon yeah, yeah. Um, and so i think that'll be a big issue but guys even on a big 12 level on a national level like i'm confused about what this college football season is even bama didn't look great last weekend and i know it was mercer and i'm sure they were completely uninterested but it's like 
what is happening? <laughs> like there's there's no rhyme or reason behind the scores, behind the games, about who's coming out on top, who's getting upset. It's been a strange start. Um, and as much fun as it would be for that to continue to keep going, um, I would like to see some consistency and play just to, uh, you know, help our bets a little bit. Because I know we all talked for the pod. We were like, we have no clue. <laughs> yeah. Why are these teams are the favorite? Why they're so low? Why they're so high? So this may be one of the weirder starts of college football season that uh, I've watched in a long time. Well, it definitely feels like there's more parity. There's more right. of a chance for chaos. There's more teams that can be competitive and maybe compete for those top four playoff spots. But, I mean, you, you just look around the country, and obviously we'll we'll go down to Fayetteville here in just a second. But, I mean, Texas A&M, obviously they lose Haynes King. Um, Corbin, you saw that Colorado team in person. You do not like that that Buffalo squad whatsoever. And mm-hmm. it took them all the way to the final possession to knock off Colorado. And then – uh, I mean, you go all the way up to South Bend, Indiana, uh, Notre Dame. It took them all the way to the final possession to knock off Toledo, a team that they were 17-point favorites over. Um, Stanford beats USC. Clay Helton's gone. But, guys, for me, in terms of the Big 12, you got to go to Fayetteville in Texas. It's year after year. It's Texas back. We the, the, what, the mantra for Texas that we've seen for the better part of the last decade, it, it came true this past weekend. They go – they, they start out at home. They knock off Louisiana. Sarks, you know, 38-18. to 18, That's a really good win over a good program, the team that beat Iowa State last year. The hype train's starting to roll on. People down in Austin are starting to believe. The shit talking start to begin. And then what do they do? They go on the road, and they lay an egg and just get blasted by Arkansas. And as much as we, as we talked about Texas A&M really, really struggling – and then maybe being one of the storylines coming out of week two, there wasn't a happier fan base uh, in terms of Texas losing than, than the Aggies. So um, I don't I don't really know what to, what to think of Texas. I mean, losing 40-21 to 21 at Arkansas, giving up 333 yards on the ground. Um, and, guys, Texas didn't score until the third quarter. They punted on six of their first seven possessions. Arkansas punted twice in the entire game, and that was on their first two possessions uh, of, of the game. So, um I mean, is it time to press the panic button down in Austin? Or is it just kind of, you know, we we expected them to maybe lose one or two of these first games, uh, and we'll just kind of go from there. You have to think that, like, they got to give them some time because they, unless they were extremely, you know, burnt orange-colored glasses, but this team was not going to go 13-0 and or 12-0 and this year. They're going to take some losses along the way. They have to move on and regroup from that, and they have some mm-hmm. opponents they can do that with. Uh, they've got Rice this weekend, perfect opponent to, to regroup mm-hmm. on. Casey Thompson, I'm glad that they're making the switch to him now and not the week before OU. Like, let's get some tape out on that guy before we see him in the Cotton Bowl potentially. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was such an interesting turn of events because in week one, that looked like one of the most competent, business-oriented Texas teams that we've seen in a really long time. And then mm-hmm. week two was a complete opposite story, even worse than you know uh, any time that Tom Herman ha- had lost a game uh, in, in Austin. So it's odd. Uh, let's see what happens. But like Corbin said, it's just the same thing in college football around the board. Like you just don't know what to expect. In fact, we were talking you know before uh, the game started on Saturday – Georgia was without JT Daniels. UAB is a team that I think is a pretty solid group of five school. Maybe not Tulane good, but kind of in that territory. And they got absolutely demolished by Georgia. Stetson. With Stetson Bennett. Bennett, yeah. Um, you know, Matt Saracen. So I, I don't know what to, what to think about anything at this point. And I probably will go 0-5 on my picks this week. Well, I think if there's one thing that the the Arkansas game it exposed Texas or Texas's you know lack of ability and lack of depth 
on the line of scrimmage on both sides of football. And now we know that that uh, Sarkey has made the switch. Uh, Casey Thompson is going to start for the Longhorns on Saturday. And guys, Thompson, in my opinion, like you said, Adam, he should have been the starter from day one. Everybody knew Texas's offensive line was a weakness on this team. So going in with a more mobile quarterback probably would have been the better move. But you know, however, going to Casey Thompson after Carr beat Louisiana, and I know he struggled against Arkansas, it, it just kind of shows how little confidence, in my opinion, Sark had in that room to start the year with. You know, Thompson now has a chance to shine the next couple weeks against Rice, against Texas Tech, you know, two opponents that are again, that are much inferior competition than what Hudson Carr just won it, when it had to go up against. So I don't know if you're, pes- uh, if you're pressing the panic button down in Austin, but you definitely have some question marks and you're shaking your head if you're a Texas fan right now. I think the QB change, as weird as it, says, as weird as it sounds, even though it's been a couple of games, is, is kind of like a reset. Because you know if Casey Thompson goes out there and he looks great against Rice, just like Hudson Card did against Louisiana, it was like, all right. If you're a Texas fan, you're like, all right, now. Here we go. Here we go. Like, we're on the path. We've got, we got our guy, you know. I just – we've just been down this road too many times. It was, it was very similar to the Iowa state, Iowa feeling that we all had. Mm-hmm. I, it, this was where Iowa state was going to stake its claim as a national power. And all of us said last week, like we've been down this road. Mm-hmm. We know that Iowa is going to win this game. And not only did they win, they dominated. So that's, it's just, we've been down this road enough with Texas recently. Um, it's going to have to happen until I believe that, you know, they're actually back. My my fear, though, and this happens almost year in, year out at this point, is that they'll give us a great game. And that's just kind of how those rivals rivalries go. But especially if you're Casey Thompson, an Oklahoma guy, and you come into the Cotton Bowl, you don't think he's going to ball out in that game? He is. Oh, yeah, so he just is. prepare for it now, OU fans, regardless of Texas is – Five and one, you know, rolling in the Cotton Bowl or four and one, whatever that game out of or, you know, one and five. We were going to get a good game out of Texas here in October. There's no doubt about it. Well, Adam, to kind of throw this back to you in, in terms of the team up in Ames, does Iowa State kind of have a similar problem that Oklahoma State does in terms of a bedlam problem? I mean, this is a team that, you know, all the stars kind of align this season. Matt Campbell, this was going to be his best team, his most experienced team. They've got 50 starters coming back on the team this year. It sounds like they just got a couple more. But you had college game day in Ames. You were the home team in this matchup. This was supposed to be your best team maybe in the history of your program. And you go out there and you get annihilated physically, especially uh, on the line of scrimmage, you know, losing 27 to 17. And, you know, guys – we all know how good Brees Hall is. He only had 69 yards. There wasn't another wide receiver on Iowa State that had more than three catches. You know, Xavier Hutchin, he was supposed to be that guy. You know, he was preseason all Big 12. Where has he been the first two weeks? And, you know, we, we talked earlier on in the in the preseason, um, you know, kind of doing some power rankings in terms of Big 12 quarterback. And I think all of us pr- pretty consistently, we had Brock Purdy number two. And this is a guy that was the first team all Big 12 quarterback last year over Spencer Rattler. And, guys, he got benched on Saturday. He threw three picks. So again, I don't know if I'm quite ready to press the panic button on Iowa State because we've we've seen this the last five or six years. They always lose to Iowa. They always come out of the gate slow and then they figure out a way to turn it on once they get into Big 12 play. But I mean, Adam, I mean, just kind of what are your thoughts on Iowa State in general? We've been talking a lot about how things haven't gone as we expected. We don't know what to make of things, but this is my time to toot my own horn because I've been down on Iowa State basically the entire offseason. I picked Iowa to cover uh, the four and a half points that they were given here, and I've been I've been fairly high on Iowa uh, even throughout the offseason. I like the way that they finished 2020 uh, pretty strong, and 
I just think they have overall, you know, better talent across the board. They've recruited better than Iowa State has mm-hmm. for the last, you know, 20 years that Kirk Ferentz has been there. And they've traditionally been the better program. So uh, this didn't surprise me too much. I don't know if they have a bedlam problem necessarily, Iowa State does, but um, I just think people underestimated what Iowa is. And, and I think they've got a lot of solid players there and they really know how to grind out a win and, um, and, and do it. So Iowa State, uh, I kind of called a little bit of fool's gold on them. I think they're a well-coached, good team, but they're more like a seven, eight win team that, you know, they have a few games go their way in the last minute on a one possession game. And that makes them a 10 win team, but it could also make them a six win team. So mm-hmm. it just depends on, on how the, uh, the ball rolls. This, this was a huge weekend for the big 12 and they just completely dropped the ball on multiple fronts. You take a look at what UCLA did uh, against LSU. You take a look, obviously what Oregon did in the shoe last weekend. If, if Iowa state and um, Texas win their games. Mm-hmm. The Big 12 has got the buzz around them, very similar to how the Pac-12 does right now. Yeah, Missed opportunity for the conference, and as things stand now, even more important at this point that OU does find a way to go undefeated because a one-loss uh, Big 12 team, regardless of the logo on the helmet, in this conference, when they had opportunities to go make statements and out-of-conference and big-time matchups, mm-hmm. they didn't. And so, um, again... You know, it feels like we say this every year, but a missed opportunity by this conference to really kind of push themselves into the upper echelon. Well, Corbin, I think you make a really good point. Obviously, Iowa State losing to Iowa, Texas losing to Arkansas. It, and going back in terms of, you know, the perception of the Big 12 as a whole, when you look at when you look at LSU and you look at Ohio State, it's not the fact that those two teams lost. It's the fact that they lost to two Pac-12 teams when we haven't really given the Pac-12 much credit whatsoever in terms of the style of college football and how competitive they've been over the last four to five years. Now, like you said, Ohio, or Oregon, if they're a one-loss team or if they run the table, they're going to be in the playoff because they've got that head-to-head win over Ohio State. Now, when you look at OU, when you kind of see some of these other teams that haven't fared as well against other you know non-conference opponents like Texas and Iowa State this past weekend, it, uh, it, it definitely... Um, I guess heightens your yeah, not not state of awareness, but if you're an OU fan, you've got to feel a little less comfortable the fact that if this team does slip up like we've seen them do over the last ten to fifteen years, just once, it's going to lower your chances in terms of reaching the college football playoff. Guys, is is the Big Ten up for grabs? Uh, or do you still feel Ohio State's a strong? I want to see Penn State against Auburn this weekend, but before I make that call, I but I, I, I was legit. Yeah, I, I agree the with defense. that. I, I still think Ohio State is the team to beat simply because I think they can outscore you, uh, especially once C.J. Stroud really gets rolling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not too worried about them just yet, but I'm also not on the same level of panic as you guys are as far as a one-loss OU team being out of the playoff. I, I want to see a little bit more of the national scene and more of the Big 12 teams before we get there, but that does raise an interesting question because – like we look at now, there might not be a ranked team on the schedule that OU plays this year. And so getting those quality wins is going to be tough. But as it stands today, who is the second best team in the Big 12? Is it still Iowa State? It's kind of up in the air for me. I don't think it's Iowa State as of right now, not after what we just watched. But then again, we see them do this every year. That's the hard part about them is they do this every year. It's somebody, whether it's Iowa or somebody else in the non-conference, that they just lay an egg and it's mm-hmm. it's it's all it's very it's very OU esque 
in, in mm-hmm. that front where it takes a game for them to fall flat on their face and they pick up everything. So I, as with almost every team across the country at this point, I do not have a pulse of who's where, who's good, who's not good, who is ranked too high, who is too low. But is it crazy to think K-State's the second best team in the conference? Am I going out on too big of a limb there? Because we spoke um, – over the summer that they had one of the tougher non-conference schedules so far, if they go and beat Nevada, granted they, they haven't beaten anybody that's just like this. Wow. Amazing team, but they had a solid non-conference schedule. Mm-hmm. And if they go three and zero through that beating Stanford, who just whacked USC. I mean, you have to kind of tip the cap to them, right? Like if they're undefeated by in what, two weeks from now, two and a half mm-hmm. weeks from now, by the time OU heads up there, that's a ranked matchup. It has to be. K-State's got a really good resume so far. I mean, they've done everything that they've been asked to do, you know, having two quality non-conference wins so far. I think that one of the reasons why I might be um, a little bit hesitant to put K-State up there in the upper echelon is because of the fact that they sounds like they are going to be without Skylar Thompson uh, for the better part of the rest of the regular season. So I'm not quite there yet with, with K-State, although Deuce Vaughn is a hell of a player. You know, he can bust a game wide open anytime. Um, I'm not quite ready to cash out my chips yet on Iowa State. Obviously, they've looked bad the last two weeks, but we've seen it from Matt Campbell's team. They peak later in the season. They start to play their best football once Big 12 play comes rolling around, but I would probably have them fourth. And then, guys, in terms of looking at who's the second-best team, I think I've probably got to go with TCU um, or, honestly, maybe even Texas. If t- if Casey Thompson is that guy at quarterback, with the amount of talent that's on that roster, if Casey Thompson is that guy at QB, then, I mean, Texas is definitely uh, you know, a force to be reckoned with, and it sounds like that could be a team that OU's going to have to play twice. I'm going to have to roll with TCU for now as well. I would have said K-State if Skylar Thompson was healthy. Mm-hmm. They're a two-point dog at home to Nevada this week, I believe, which it was. It felt like a trap to, to pick that one. But uh, I, I have zero confidence in Will Howard to pick up the slack there. Um, I know they have some, uh, some other younger guys who are a little bit more highly regarded that I would like to see. Um, play ahead of Will Howard. We'll see if that happens. But um, Skylar Thompson needs to come back if K-State wants a crack at this. And again, I'm not giving up on Iowa State yet either, but they looked pretty bad on Saturday. So I think there's – and, and K-State may be too early in the year for OU to really have a that considered a quality win until it comes mm-hmm. back around if they make it to Arlington again. So we'll see what happens there. In terms of the team down in Stillwater, are, are you guys ready to say that I was right about Spencer Sanders going into this year? No. One weekend. I mean, it was a bad performance, and I saw – I didn't see a ton of it, but I did see the really bad interception, and that was that was mm-hmm. absolutely rough. But yeah. I don't know. OSU's still 2-0. We'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe he gets his uh, his wheels back and his feet under him and um, you know gets more familiar with some of his new weapons, but it was not a good opening. We, we all were questioning Spencer Rattler after last weekend. So I think you have to at least give him a couple weeks to get things back under his mm-hmm. belt. Um, but it was ugly. It I was mean, ugly I, I guess the thing with Sanders for me is the fact that outside of his freshman year when he had Chuba and he had Tylen Wallace, he's just, you know, he's gotten worse and worse as his career's gone on in Oklahoma State. And when you look at what uh, what Oklahoma State's doing on offense right now, the offensive line is terrible. Um, that, I mean, you don't want to put the entire blame on Spencer Sanders. Obviously, you know, it doesn't matter how good he is if he doesn't have five guys that can block in front of him. But um, OSU is going to go as far as Spencer Sanders can take him. If he doesn't, if he doesn't pick it up right now, then I mean, it might be too far of a stretch. But if Spencer Sanders isn't the guy that we think he is, and he can't get 
that offense rolling for the Cowboys, and you may be looking at a, a, a team in Stillwater that might not be making a bowl game this year. Sanders basically had the same stats from his freshman to his sophomore year. Um, so I don't necessarily know that he's gotten worse. I think it's just that people expected him to make a jump from year to year, and he really didn't, mm-hmm. which to me – I kind of call him the Landry Jones of OSU in that regard. You know, he he burst onto the scene as a freshman and people had super high expectations. And Landry did get better. Um, he's still underappreciated. I, so I don't think Sanders is, you know, at that level yet. But he certainly has the impact, especially with his legs, to really, you know, put strain on a defense. And I think he's kept OSU in some games that they probably shouldn't have been in. We, uh, you know, as OU fans really haven't seen that because he's been hurt or hasn't played by the time, you know, Bedlam has come around. But um, he's a guy that I I would not want to face as a a defensive coordinator. So he's still got some talent. He needs to figure out the turnover problem. If he doesn't, it's going to be a really long year for Oklahoma State. Corbin, a question that I'll poise to you, and then Adam, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Now that we're two weeks into the season, is there a game on OU's schedule that you either feel better or worse about after seeing the performance through two weeks. Is it TCU coming to Norman? Is it OU's trip to Baylor? I mean, Baylor hasn't looked bad the past couple of weeks, so they've been able to score some points. But, I mean, is there anything that kind of has swayed you one way or the other in terms of a potential opponent on OU's schedule? I think the thing that makes me most nervous, guys, at this point is is the lack of consistency so far throughout the entire conference. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Baylor scored points last week, but they also struggled against Texas State in week one. Um, so there's a there's a lot of that. And I, I, again, I feel like, you know, I'm repeating myself to an extent, but it's like, I have no idea how this is going to shake out outside of spot one, which we all hope and assume OU is going to be in that number one spot. But it does make me a little more nervous, I think, because if a loss does come, it's not going to be a pretty one, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're Ohio State and you lose to Oregon at home, you can get over that. If you're Clemson and you lose to Georgia to start the year, you can get over that. Anybody left on OU schedule, actually anybody on OU schedule at all at this point, it's going to be tough to get over that. So I think that's what makes me nervous is, is there just doesn't seem to anybody who's going to be that top tier competition. Mm -hmm. Iowa State could certainly turn it around, but because that is lacking again, like who, who is that team that we see every single year come and bite OU in the ankle and like, they're just not a good football team. So I don't know where it's going to come from, but I still think there's a loss on the schedule. Um, but there isn't a team that sticks out to go out and do it um, based on what I've seen. And I think that's going to make it so much better for us as fans in terms of the product on the field, being able to watch the Big 12 week in and week out. Because, you know, you wake up on a Saturday morning, you're not going to go, you're not going to know what to expect. You're not going to know, you know, who, who's going to win each game. So uh, that, that makes it a lot more enjoyable for us as fans. Um, and Adam, it's uh, why don't we transition over here to OU Nebraska? So regarding Nebraska, I think everyone is really down on them simply because they lost the opener to Illinois. They looked like the same old, same old Nebraska. And everyone kind of forgot about them after that point. They played Fordham. They played Buffalo. No one paid attention because it's not like the games were particularly close, but they weren't, you know, massive blowouts necessarily either. It's just kind of like, hey, they're off the radar. But the stats aren't always super impressive across the board, but they are averaging quite a few yards per game. They're actually within 15 yards of what OU is averaging uh, per Mm -hmm. game. So I I think there's definitely some talent on Nebraska. We saw the defensive line do some really good work against Illinois. So I think this is a good measuring stick, especially after not really learning anything against Western Carolina. 
But, um, you know, when, when OU has the ball, Corbin, um, you know, what are you looking for to see that improvement from the two-lane game to this one? Yeah, I think O-line play is going to be huge in this game, guys. Um, I haven't watched the last two Nebraska games, but they watched the Illinois game. And now, granted, mm-hmm. there's nobody on Nebraska's schedule that I think is a good football team. I thought Illinois was okay. Um, and then watching what they did last weekend and, and the weekend before, honestly, against UTSA, they're not. Um, and so I think there's probably a little – brand name bias that Illinois is this big time offensive line school that maybe isn't quite the case um, that I originally um, anticipated. But from what I saw, I think Nebraska's front seven is okay. And I think they have the potential to give this offensive line fits if they should come out and they play like they did against Tulane. So Mm -hmm. um, my fear there is that there is, there is possibility for exposure. Um, And so offensive line specifically is where I'm going to have my eyes on things when OU has the ball, um, if Spencer has time, I think these receivers can get open. I don't think Nebraska is great on the uh, the back end of the defensive side, mm-hmm. but they've got potential to really give us fits and to shut down the running game and to kind of force a two lane like scenario um, heading into uh, this weekend. But I think it's I think this game is is more tricky than people probably think. The best thing for Nebraska, Adam, exactly what you said is the fact that no one's been talking about them uh, mm-hmm. for the past couple of weeks. They are dead society. They lost to Illinois. Nobody's paying attention. But if you look at the stats, even though it's been against bad teams, maybe not quite as bad as we originally thought. Well, well I think in terms, you know, across the entire, you know, landscape of college football, uh, there were a lot of, you know, low expectations of, of what Nebraska could be going into the season. Then when they lost week zero against Illinois, you know, people were ready to get rid of Scott Frost. They were ready to, you know, get somebody new in to, you know, try to revive again and again this Nebraska football program. But, you know, Nebraska's two and one, uh, you know, following a solid 28-3 win over Buffalo. You know, the Cornusker defense, they controlled that game for the second straight week, um, holding Buffalo to, I believe they were scoreless in the first half and, you know, just gave up a field goal uh, early in the third quarter. But this is two weeks in a row Nebraska has allowed fewer than 10 points on defense. So in terms of when OU has the football – for me, it starts with, with the offensive line play, like you said. You've got to you've got to win the line of scrimmage. You've got to be able to run the football. Uh, Nebraska, you know, two of their better players on that side of the football is sophomore linebacker Luke Raymer. You know, he's the leading tackler on this team. He's the captain of that defense, and he's the current Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week after a really good performance against Buffalo. Um, and then the other one is uh, is the uh, on the back end of the defense, senior safety Deontay Williams. He's got two interceptions through three games. Really, really good athletic player can come up and play physical at the line of scrimmage, kind of like what we see with DTY at that strong safety position. And, you know, guys, not just the line of scrimmage with OU's offensive line being a huge part of their success in this game, but, you know, I want to see Spencer Rattler go two weeks in a row. No turnovers, being sound with the football, high energy, playing really good football. Um, So that's going to be one of the things that I've got my eye on because, like you said, Corbin, Nebraska's front seven, if OU isn't ready to play up front, then Nebraska's front seven could give them problems. And if OU can't get the running game going, then – you're putting an, an awful lot into Spencer Rattler's hands. Definitely will have some concerns if uh, we aren't able to run the ball a little bit and you know keep Spencer Rattler upright in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about last week, like there's no real excuses. We don't need to be waiting till the Texas game to get this offensive line in order. We yep. need that now. We need to start dominating teams and work on other areas uh, to improve on. Uh, but speaking of a guy who hasn't thrown an interception yet, it's Adrian Martinez. He actually is the leading rusher as well for the Cornhuskers, mm-hmm. 250 yards through through three games. And we all saw him take off for 75 yards on a scramble against Illinois. Definitely a guy that's dangerous on the ground, a little bit less dangerous through the air. 
Um, he's not the most accurate guy or, or possibly the best decision maker, but I think he's certainly one that can extend drives, can keep the team on the field for another three plays. And I think that's something you really want to avoid uh, if you're the OU defense is, you know, get more three and outs. Don't, don't let them have long extended drives and stay in the game and keep our offense off the field. Uh, but what else are you guys looking forward to as far as, you know, seeing what the defense can do against Nebraska? Yeah, I think this will be an interesting matchup, honestly. Um, we've all seen it year in, year out. When you have a quarterback that has wheels to him, like it creates a different dynamic that's really hard to defend. Um, and honestly, before I started looking over the stats, I kind of thought that's all that Adrian Martinez had up his sleeve, but he's actually thrown the ball relatively well. Um, again, all of that with an asterisk that he hasn't played anybody that good, but mm-hmm. still. So I think the uh, issue for Alex Grinch and his defense is that when you fly around the ball like they do, um, tackling and containing Adrian Martinez is going to be got to be a huge focus. You can't over pursue him because he will make you pay. He is that fast um, and that athletic to really hurt you in that way. So you have to send pressure. You got to get in his face. But you have to do it in a smart way because um, if he gets outside of the pocket, um, it's it's trouble. And so I would love to see. Perry on Winfrey, some of those guys front and center in front of him for them to be the ones really pushing that pressure on. Um, outside pressure could certainly come. We've got the guys to do it. But if you can shrink that pocket from the inside out, that's how you kind of contain a guy like him. Um, and so I think that has to be the key going forward. If you give him the chance to step up in the pocket, if he's got running lanes, he's going to take it. And he's going to kill you on it. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm very interested just to see how they play him um, in this game because he doesn't have much around him, it doesn't feel like, but he can make plays to keep them close deep in this game. Yeah, th- there's really two things about Nebraska's offense that, you know, if I'm Alex Grinch, you know, it, it does kind of scare me, or at least I'm going to be very aware of it, you know, going into Saturday. And like you said, it, it starts with Adrian Martinez. Struggles a little bit throwing the football. He's not as much of a polished passer as what we see, you know, some of the other programs across college football. But he's a very athletic guy. We all know what he can do with his, with his feet. And, you know, if you have a busted assignment, if you miss a gap, then he has the ability to take off and bust a game wide open. So that's number one for me. Oh, he's got to be able to contain him uh, in the running game. But but also number two, as young as they are at the skill position talent, they've got a transfer from from Montana and wide receiver Samari Toure, speed guy in the slot uh, in the game against Buffalo last week. He had two catches for over 130 yards. Both of them went for went for touchdowns. So um, they are going to be starting a true freshman running back in Gabe Irvin. But guys, when when I think that OU has a huge advantage on this side of the football when OU's defense is out there. Just going back and doing a little bit of research on on uh, Nebraska's offensive line, three out of their five guys are true freshmen, and both starting tackles are going to be freshmen. So um, looking just just at the left tackle position, you know, Turner Co- uh, Cochran, a guy that you know OU fans should be familiar with. OU recruited this guy uh, coming out of Kansas. But in his 182 snaps so far in three games, pro football focus has him at a grade of 28.9 in, pest pro- in pass protection which is one of the worst in college football. So if I'm Nick Benito, if I'm Isaiah Thomas, I'm licking my chops at the opportunity to line up in front of this guy. And if OU can stop the running game, get get Nebraska into those, you know, second and long, third and long, those obvious passing downs, that that's going to bode well for OU defensively. And I think that's going to go a long way uh, in determining the outcome of this game. Nick Benito's off to a slow start stat-wise. I think he has two tackles and half a sack through two games. Granted, he barely played Saturday night. He was mm-hmm. uh, staying on the sidelines quite a bit, helmet off, knowing, knowing that he wasn't going to play a whole lot. I don't know that there's any nagging injuries or anything that's maybe slowing him down, but I think he's just, you know, we're getting a lot of guys rotating in. And Reggie Grimes, 
um, you know, has played really well. Isaiah Thomas has played really well. A lot of young guys have played really well across the board. Caleb Kelly, I think, is, you know, not a young guy, but he's, mm-hmm. he's getting in there and making a difference uh, in some ways. So I, it'll be interesting to see Nick Benito and if he can turn it on and start, you know, racking up some sacks and some stats for uh, some of those end-of-the-year awards. So One thing I think you have seen with, with Benito, um, more so I've seen it this year than necessarily have, I think, in, in years past so far, but having that QB spy um, situation with him kind of at the line of scrimmage, I think this game could – prove well for him to kind of fill up that stat line when you have a mobile mm-hmm. quarterback who is looking to run um, like a Adrian Martinez. So I, I think Adam, I'm, I think I'm with you. It'd be nice to see him kind of fill stuff up. And I think it could be a good game for him to do so. And I think one of the biggest weapons in terms of deciding, you know, if this OU defense can have success, it's going to be if OU's offense can jump out on, on, on Nebraska, you know, often and early. One of the things that we know about Nebraska, you know, watching Scott Frost's offense last year and particularly the first two games, they like to run the ball. They like to grind it out. They like to shorten the game, limit the amount of possessions for the other team. So if Spencer Rattler and, and Lincoln Riley can, you know, jump out to a 14, maybe 21 nothing lead, get Nebraska out of their game plan to where you force them to play from behind, force them to have to throw the football a little bit more than they want Adrian Martinez to do. Um, if they can do that, then I, I think that you could be looking at a, a very nice Saturday for Oklahoma. Scott Frost had a great quote that came out today where he said, we have the talent to win every game or lose every game. And I'm not sure if that's a compliment or a slight to his players. Um, I don't know if he started a sentence and didn't know like where it. it was going and just hoped he found it along the way. But <laughs> <laughs> between, between him and Sark, they should have a quote off. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sark saying, uh, how, how do you put it after the week one? There are more teams that lose in week one than win week mm-hmm. one. I think that's what he said. Yeah. So I think, you know, you get those two guys in the room and who knows what could be said. I'd love to be a fly on that wall. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. knowing that, you know, Nebraska has some, some talent, they have some dangerous guys, but at the same time, they just feel so mismanaged and miscoached and, um, they looked like a dumpster fire against Illinois. So yeah. knowing that and knowing that OU, you know, had a lot of room to improve after Tulane, we'll get into our score predictions here at the end, but what's an acceptable result or, or what would be uh, moving in the right direction that you guys would say, Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not as concerned coming out of this game as I am Tulane. Yeah. I mean, Corbin, you kind of, you know, drove this point home a little bit earlier. Uh, I mean, this is one where a lot of people are, are riding Nebraska off. I mean, Scott Frost, he tried to cancel this game and they've heard nothing the last six or seven months. And especially after that week zero loss to Illinois, how they were going to get run out of the stadium in Norman by, by Oklahoma uh, on September 18th. So I think that this is a team that after the last two weeks, two wins, yes, they are inferior opponents, but they've got some momentum. They won their last two Defense has played much, much better. And the offense is putting up some points. So they're going to give OU their best shot with all the struggles. Scott Frost has gone through the last four years in Lincoln. Uh, a lot that a lot of that can be forgiven on Saturday if he can go out there and knock off Oklahoma. So, um, like I said, OU they they have the blueprint to do it. The week the uh, they had a really good week of practice last week. You could definitely tell that it was a no nonsense type of week in Norman. Lincoln Riley was you know kind of you know general hard ass, uh, getting the guys focused, getting them ready to play. So if OU can replicate what they did a week ago, playing you know hundred hundred percent max effort for four consecutive quarters. Um, then I, I like OU's chances on this one to, to win win pretty heavily. Yeah, I couldn't really have said it better myself. I do think this is Nebraska's playoff game, if you will, for the year. Um, I think they kind of know where they stand in the Big Twin, but they've got an opportunity coming to Norman and knock off, you know, number three ranked OU team, historic rivalry, Scott Frost clearly coaching for his job. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think this this weekend will be the best Nebraska has has looked all season long. I, I fully believe that to be the case. Can can this be the weekend that OU looks the best they have all weekend long? And if they can, their best is way way better than Nebraska's best. Mm-hmm. But if they can't, then this absolutely could be a game. And guys, I wouldn't be surprised that if halftime this is still within a score or two. Um, I think Nebraska will come out swinging and probably look pretty good early on. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. I, I really just want to see OU work that lead up at some point in the game, whether it's second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, work that lead up and hold it and be physically dominant. And, you know, if it's 35 to 10, I'm okay with that. I just want it to be something where OU looks like clearly the better team and can just manhandle Nebraska at some point in the game. Mm-hmm. We saw a really good home atmosphere against uh, Western Carolina, and I know that it is going to be an 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday, but you'd have to think OU fans are going to be hyped up, ready to, to go on this game. So, uh, I mean, th- there's a lot of different things that, that we can talk about as far as what we want to see OU do, but at the end of the day, no turnovers, no injuries. Play hard, put four good, consistent quarters of football together, and I think OU is going to be fine. They're the much superiorly talented team, um, like I said, with with uh, Nebraska starting three true freshmen on the offensive line, if OU's we've talked about it time and time again nationally, locally as well. If OU's defensive line in front seven is the you know the the backbone of this team, then 11 a.m. big noon kickoff. Joel Clack, Gus Johnson, this is your chance to go out there and make a statement and make a big one on Saturday. This has a very similar feel to uh, when UCLA came to town a couple years ago, uh, where you knew UCLA could th- they could they could fight back, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it just they just weren't quite good enough. I think you see a very similar game, if you want me to be honest. UCLA, mm-hmm. like I said, they hung around, but it was the game was never felt in doubt about yeah. who was going to come out on top and who was going to come out on top pretty handily. So I have a feeling that's a very similar uh, outcome that we'll see on Saturday, but, but time will tell. Obviously, we're only mm-hmm. a few days away. Yeah. Is it time to uh, give out Tyler's free picks? Jesus. Well, I have to, you know, I want to make sure and give Tyler his his moment here. Uh, for everybody, obviously, you're not in our group text, but Tyler was very outlandish about a uh, very easy mistake on our pick'em board. So, Tyler, I want to give you your due. You did go one and four last week, so you need some spotlight time. Um, so, I'd love to hear. You know, you're just unbelievable disappointment in me. Obviously, you know and eventually going 5-0. and oh. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what you come up with. Well, prior to Saturday, obviously going back and looking at the picks, you know, we're, we're pretty adamant about, you know, staying true to the line, what the spread is at the current time when we record this podcast, and uh, going all the way back to Coastal Carolina hosting Kansas. Line opened up at 27, and it was bet all the way down to 25 and a half. We took, you, you took that game, Corbin. Thought it was a great pick. Then I come to find out, looking at the graphic that got put out, you had Kansas plus 22 and a half so i don't know if we're just spotting ourselves a field goal there i i was going to make it a much bigger deal than, than it was they, they ended up covering no matter what but after a one and four weekend i don't really have much of a leg to stand on after you going five and oh so uh, i'm going to rest my case on that and hopefully i can bounce back better than ever um, going into this week because i'm falling behind and falling behind fast adam i'd love for you to insert um a a sound clip here of me saying that pick last weekend and Tyler 100% agreeing with that. I mean, we all, we all, last time I checked, I think we all have the internet so we can all check these picks as they're being done. But you know, it was a mistake. Uh, both Adam and I have had seen that 22 line elsewhere. I actually had another betting group and I said, Hey guys, I think I got that line wrong. It actually needs to be 25 and a half. And another guy in the group said, no, I saw it too. That's a bad line. So 
there's plenty of here to debate regardless they covered and regardless i got a goose egg in the uh, the loss column last week that i'm pretty damn proud of um but yeah you know what we're just gonna fade past it um and not worry about it anymore let's get into this week's beers and bets i don't have a beer so adam if you want to enter a soundbite please help yourself uh but yeah guys last week adam four and one uh tyler one and four myself five and oh overall standings adam's leading the way at uh, ten and five nine and six for me and tyler rounding out uh with five and ten um Adam, you're leading the way. Start us off with uh, your week one, or excuse me, week three first overall bet heading into the weekend. I promised I'd get back to some Big Ten football. I'm going to Michigan State at Miami. That the Spartans are a six and a half point underdog. Uh, I'm not. I'm not big on Miami. Uh, they struggled again against App State this past week. A good App State team, but I also think this Michigan State team is good too. Uh, they've got a stable of running backs. Peyton Thorne looks like a much better quarterback than. Uh, they had in Lansing last year with Ricky Lombardi. So uh, I think the Spartans not only uh, cover that, I think they went outright. Wow. Um, that line's confusing to me. I, I just stayed away from it. I thought it was bizarre when I saw it the first time and just not having it. Um, another line I don't like is Baylor minus 17 and a half. Um, but I told you guys in the pod last week, winning bets involve betting against Kansas. And until they start turning that around consistently, I'm just going to continue to do it. So I hate this pick to be frank, uh, but Baylor heading up to uh, the graveyard that is Lawrence, Kansas, minus 17 and a half. That did go up a half point right before we started recording, which I hated even more. But guys, it's still Kansas. Uh, and so I'm just going to keep following this train till it till it runs into something it shouldn't. Yeah, um, one and four uh, record for me last week. I'm three and seven in my in my last ten. So something's got to change. Uh, kind of going back to my roots here, not focusing truly on the analytics, and just going to go with my gut on this one. So pick number one for me. I'm going to the SEC primetime game of the week. Alabama traveling down to Gainesville to take on Florida. I'm going to go Alabama minus seven and a half uh, to to cover in the first half here. If there's one thing, like you said, Corbin, that we can trust to bet on. It's Alabama first half, and it's Kansas to, to, to not cover the spread. So uh, I'm going to start out strong on this one and take the Crimson Tide to cover the 7.5 against the Gators on Saturday. That's a tried-and-true uh, strategy there. So uh, I'm also going to Kansas, but I'm going a little bit different here. Baylor at Kansas, I'm taking the over on the 49.5. Um, I'm not really sure how good Baylor is. If they are good, they're going to score a lot of points. If they're not I think both teams score a lot of points. So it just seems like a really low number to me. Mm. Yep. Um, going back to the armed forces again this week, uh, Utah State at Air Force. Um, based on what these two teams have done so far, neither one are really high-scoring teams. I'm going to try to double dip uh, with the military picks uh, back-to-back weeks. I'm going to say under 54 there um, out in uh, Colorado Springs. Nice. I like that one as well. Uh, my, my second pick... Second pick for me, I'm going to the sister school here in the state of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State traveling out to Boise, Idaho, to the blue turf, take on the Boise State Broncos, Boise State favored by four and a half in this one. This is kind of an interesting line for me because Oklahoma State, they are the power five team. Yes, they are going to be traveling out to a future member of the Big 12 Conference. So this is kind of a puzzling line, but going back and watching Oklahoma State this past weekend against Tulsa, Offense is terrible. The offensive line is, is trash. I still don't think Spencer Sanders has taken that next step. If anything, he's gotten progressively worse since his freshman year uh, in Stillwater. So I don't feel too confident about it, but Boise State at home on the blue turf. Uh, I'll take the Broncos to cover the four and a half in this one. Guys, why is that line that low? That's That seems too good. 
uh, Vegas knows something. They, they know something. I don't like it. Yeah, I <laughs> well, stayed away we'll get from to one, one here at the end that's even more concerning for me. I, I stayed away from that one. I almost thought that OSU should have been favored there, but uh, I know nothing. Uh, is that a night game? I'm trying to find out on my schedule here. Uh, and I'm I, think it's, I think it's it. prime time. You know that place is going to be packed and loud, though. That's yeah, one thing it is. for sure. Yeah. That'll be a tough venue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that is yeah 7 p.m my time so 8 p.m central okay yeah there i see it now yeah uh that should be a fun one my uh my third pick i'm going to the uh the nerds here northwestern at duke taking the under on the 49 and a half northwestern just inevitably uh will will be low scoring even if they are the better team and are able to run you know the score up they really won't do it um they'll just grind out the game and run the clock so it's a risky under, a low under, uh, the same number that I took the over on the previous game, but different teams. I think uh, I think it's going to work out well for me. We'll see. Yeah, guys, my last three picks at this point, honestly, I'm just picking against bad teams. Uh, that's my method madness. So um, Maryland minus seven and a half at Illinois. I don't know how good Maryland is. I think the win against West Virginia is actually a pretty solid win to kick off the season. But one thing I do know is Illinois is not very good. Um, and so I'm going to take Maryland uh, minus seven and a half up there in Champaign. I think that's a good one too, Brett Bielema. I mean, he kind of, you know, started the, the year out strong, beat Nebraska, but they've kind of, you know, taken a, a pretty big step back in the last couple weeks. Pick number three for me, I'm staying right here at home. Uh, Nebraska come down here, 50th, you know, 50th anniversary of the game of the century, taking on Oklahoma. OU favored by 22 and a half. I was able to actually get this line at 18 and a half a couple weeks ago. Corbin, you helped me out with that, put some money on it. So I feel much better about the 18 and a half. But when I, when you look at this game, I like Oklahoma in this one. I, I think that the, the performance against Tulane, I think that really got their attention. Yes, it was a one-off the 76 nothing win over Western Carolina, we all know, we've talked about it at length, about how bad of a football team that was, and they were very, very bad. But I like Oklahoma in this one. It's national spotlight. It's big new kickoff. This is a chance for them to come out there and do what Spencer Rattler said going into Texas Tech last last year was, you know, come out and embarrass somebody. I think Oklahoma's primed to do that in this one. So uh, I'm going to go with OU to cover the 22.5 in this one, and what should be a fun atmosphere in Norman on Saturday. My fourth pick, I am going to a lesser-known rivalry, uh, Virginia at UNC. Virginia is a nine-point underdog to UNC. This game last year was only a three-point game that Virginia actually won. So I think they can keep it within a touchdown here. I don't know necessarily that they'll win, but uh, I liked what I saw out of Virginia. I know they played Illinois, uh, and Illinois is not too great, but they handled them pretty easily last week. So uh, give me the Cavs here. Yeah, I'm going back out to Pac-12 country for my fourth pick here. I'm going to take UCLA um, UCLA minus 11 against Fresno. Um, obviously, the, the concern there is that Fresno played Oregon really well, who just went into the shoe and won. My gut says that Oregon was overlooking Fresno, uh, focused on everything happening in Columbus. Um, because of that, I don't think UCLA will overlook Fresno. Um, and so I'm confident there in the Bruins minus 11. Yeah, I'm going out to Big Ten country for for my fourth pick, Cincinnati traveling to, to take on Indiana. Cincinnati favored by four in this one. This is kind of another head-scratching line for me, you know, Cincinnati being a top-ten team in the country. Um, Indiana, I mean, 
They got dominated 34-6 to over Iowa a couple weeks ago, which was kind of head-scratching, but also at the same time, we saw how good Iowa fared against Iowa State in the Cyhawk matchup this past weekend. So uh, I don't feel too good about it, but I trust uh, Cincinnati's offense in this one. I think Luke Fickle has got it, has got it going, uh, going on down there in Cincinnati. So uh, give me the Bearcats to cover the four points against Indiana on Saturday. One update, uh, looking at live lines, Tyler, Boise State is now a four-point favorite against Oklahoma State. So Even better. Saved half a point there. I have no idea why that line's going down. I don't like it. Well, to uh, even better to, to round out my fifth pick, uh, I'm going with Iowa State. They're playing at UNLV uh, this uh, this upcoming Saturday, and it's a huge line. It's thirty and a half points. I know UNLV is not that great, but Iowa State is not necessarily a team that's going to just fly up and down the field, uh, even if they have the opportunity and. I'm curious to see what their mentality is coming out of uh, the big loss to Iowa. You know, they, they had their complete focus on that game and now they come away, you know, really shell shocked. So I think they win, but I think it's going to be a little bit closer um, than the 30 and a half. It'll be very interesting to see how they respond after losing to Iowa, going on the road to UNLV. You don't really have that home crowd to kind of get you, get your spirits lifted back up. So 30 and a half, that's a lot of points. I like that pick Adam. Are they playing in um, Raider Stadium? I believe that's where all of UNLV's games mm-hmm. are now. I think you're right. So, yeah. I think Iowa State will travel pretty well there, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, so I think there'll be a, a good chunk of Iowa State fans there that should help that. But, yeah, 30, 30 points is a lot. Um, going out to SEC country, um, Stanford making their way all across the country, going at Vandy. Um, I don't love this pick. Um, it went up a point right before the pod. So Stanford minus 12 is what I'm going with. Um, guys, I just think Vandy's that bad. Uh, I do worry about a hangover from Stanford off the big win um, against USC. But like I told you, my method for Madness this week is just go against bad teams. Um, so hopefully that continues to play out well for me. Yeah, don't ask me for for any pointers after the last couple of weeks that I've had. But I, I think that's a good pick. Uh, Ten really good picks from you guys. To round out my uh, – my five picks here. Number five for me. This is this is probably one where the line is the most puzzling thing altogether for me for my betting car. Tulsa traveling up to Columbus, take on Ohio State. Obviously, Ohio State coming off that you know upset loss to Oregon and what was a really really good football game this past Saturday. This line opened at twenty nine, as you pointed out, Corbin. And I don't know what Vegas is thinking, what what the odds makers are doing, but this thing has fallen all the way to twenty four and a half. So the money's clearly coming in on Tulsa in this one, but. Watching Tulsa, watching that offense go against um, Oklahoma State and Stillwater this past weekend, I don't have very much confidence in them. Yes, I know the Buckeyes' defense isn't quite what it's been up to uh, the, the, the past couple of seasons, but C.J. Stroud, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and those boys, 24.5 points and a bounce-back opportunity for them to kind of get that sour taste out of their mouth after losing a week ago. I'm going to take the Buckeyes to cover 24.5 in this one. You have to wonder, anytime there's tension in the locker room, um, it just messes up everything. We've seen that time and time again, especially a couple of years back. Again, you know, OU Texas and the Mike Stoops saga and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. Vegas doesn't shift that line if the money's not coming in heavy the other way. And so it's just, I'm trying to, I mean, we, we obviously 
we watch Tulsa, we watch Oklahoma State, and I, I just don't see why that line would swing that hard. I really don't. But um, guys, to round things out here like we do each and every week, uh, let's go through the score predictions for OU Nebraska. Tyler, let's start with you. What um, final score prediction are you after here this weekend? We've seen two completely different football teams the first two weeks of the season here in Norman. Um, obviously, I don't expect OU to duplicate the performance that they kind of laid an egg against Tulane in week one. So while I don't see this being a 76 nothing route like we saw against Western Carolina, I do expect OU to come out and play well. Fan base is going to be jacked up. Should be a really good atmosphere on Saturday. Excited to have you guys down for that one and um, get the mainline crew together for an actual game day. Um, so for this one, I think Lincoln Riley has his way with Scott Frost's team. Um, I've got OU putting up 55 in this one. And while I expect Oklahoma to have some pretty good success on defense in this one, I still think they give up a couple couple scores in this one. So I'm going to go OU 55, um, Nebraska 20. Interesting. I've, I've got uh, 20 points for Nebraska as well. Uh, but I've only got OU scoring 41 here. I think this is uh, a game that – I don't know. I kind of hate to say it or think it, but I don't think that Lincoln is necessarily going to try to run up the score in a, in a game where we're supposed to be respectful of each other, like a respectful rivalry. Um, so, and I, I'm just having a little bit more respect for Nebraska and what they're able to do defensively. I would like to have the running game kinks worked out, but I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in this line to really pave the way for that just yet. Mm. Adam, I'm right on the same page with you. I've got this game 38-17. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring, just my opinion. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I would love this team to come out and just dominate, and we'd see you know, a 55-7 game. But I still think that's going to happen. I think, like I mentioned before, I think, I think Nebraska is going to come out swinging, and I think that's going to keep this game close for a bit. I do think OU pulls away late um, and maybe a trash TD at the end for Nebraska to kind of get up to that 17. Um but yeah, I just I don't see this as a, as a crazy blowout. Um, not quite there yet with this offense and for them to have the the skill to do that. But um, Tyler, why don't you wrap us up uh, for all the people listening out there? Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, get, guys, go on Twitter, give us a follow at the Mainline Pod One. Um, we've seen a, a you know an incredible uptick in, in Twitter following. You know, uh, interacting with you guys the past couple of weeks. Now the football season's getting underway. Uh, and if you've made it this far, give us a five-star review, you know, like, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple, on Spotify, all the major platforms that you get your, you know, uh, podcast streaming services. But again, I uh, appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, big one this upcoming weekend, OU Nebraska, 11 a.m. It's big noon kickoff. Got Gus and Joel, which might be for the final time uh, as a member of the Big 12 Conference. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, again, Corbin, Adam, Tyler, appreciate you guys for joining us. And we'll be back next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.